for those of you who don't know part of our, our, our current journey, and by the way, Vicky uh, sends her regards. Uh, she's not here with us this weekend, not because of any ill health, but because she's on her annual girls weekend with the rest of her family, um, which involves, I think, about 11 of them. Spending a wonderfully sunny day down in Counter Bay, which is probably freezing. Um, but part of our journey at the moment uh, in looking for a, a house is that actually we've, we've come to a place where we're, we're renting for the next six months a place in Woodside. And so this week, Vicky and I have been moving. And uh, that's, it's exciting in itself. I'm not quite sure how to describe it because we're, we're, we're sharing with um, Ben and Georgia and I don't know whether to tell people that uh, I've got a 30-ish something year old son who's come home to live with his parents um, or whether our kids have taken us in because we're homeless. <laughs> Either way sounds a bit naff, but um, it, it's, it's, an inter it's only for six months. So I, th I think we'll all, we'll all survive. Um, but it's one of those things, it's been a hectic week and it's obviously been a scruffy week for me because this morning I discovered, to my horror, that although I had aftershave, I didn't actually have any means to shave uh, before I came to church. And uh, the only thing staring me in my, eye, in my eyes in the shower was this pink lady shave. Um, and I thought, am I really going to put that near my face? Um, but luckily Georgia managed to find a, sp uh, a new razor blade for it. Um, and it was then I discovered that with unfamiliar razors, I don't know whether you know, you can put the razor blades on upside down. And I'm there scraping away. I think nothing is happening. These things are useless. Why do they sell these things to women? They don't do anything. And then I realized that perhaps the blades were facing the wrong way. And after a bit of manipulation, managed to swing it around and uh, get the job done without too much blood. Um, and then I managed to use my aftershave, which was a bonus. Um, especially for anybody I hugged during the greeting earlier. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been a, a, an interesting development in terms of you know preparing a message. For instance, I'm used to having solitude and quiet and grandpa. <laughs> yes, Willow. <laughs> grandpa needs some quiet time. Play with me. Anyway, these are the fun things that are part of my life at the moment, which all contribute to make it very interesting. Uh, one of the things I have been able to do, and something that I, I, I get a great deal of enjoyment out of, I'm listening to a, a Bible study series at the moment. And there are some very interesting things in that which tie in with the, the part of the year that we're in. Because I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but a, a lot of the way we preach is actually seasonal. It's based on seasons. It's based on events in the church calendar, and it's based on how we we run our, our year in terms of uh, vision builders, for instance, that Nathan mentioned earlier. And so, one of the things that we we talk about, one of the things that comes to our minds at least once a year, is this whole idea that one of the deals that we face as Christians is that we are actually called to be stewards of the kingdom of God. God has actually called us to be stewards. And this is one of, the, one of these Christian terms, stewards. We don't talk about them anymore. The, the term steward doesn't appear on many job descriptions these days. You don't put it on your CV. Oh, I was steward of this. What, people 
don't know what you're talking about. Although there was a resurgence of the term several years back. Who remembers the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Somebody does. Who remembers everybody's favourite character? Denethor, son of Ecthelion. <laughs> no? <laughs> Steward of Gondor, the ruler everyone loved to hate. Oh, you need to go and see the series again. You're missing all this. Anyway, uh, he became the poster boy of stewardship for all the wrong reasons. Um, because, of course, he was looking after the kingdom of Gondor uh, until the return of the king. See what I did there? But Denethor was reluctant to hand over the power um, that he'd become accustomed to and, of course, nearly destroyed the kingdom in the process. And I, I don't know about you, but this sounds a little bit familiar in terms of our relationship with God. Now, we were given control over a kingdom and somewhere along the line, somebody decided that we, won't, we weren't going to share the power, that we were going to do things our way. Who were those horrible people? And it, I mean, even, does anyone know? Oh, very good. Gold star in the front row. If, if you need, ah, see, she's been to see three kids. We all need to go there to live. But there's even a parable in Mark 12, which describes uh, that situation I just talked about, where the, the steward of Gondor would not relinquish his power. And there's a, there's a great parable, the parable of the evil farmers, which I won't read out now, but it's a good one. Mark 12, verse 1. Good to go and read that. So in temple, simple temple sermons, I've got Nathan's disease. <laughs> in simple terms, a steward might be described as a loyal follower of the king who has been given authority to speak and act with the king's authority and to have the ability and the authority to rule in the absence of the king until his return. And this concept of stewardship runs right throughout the Bible. Now for us, this whole idea of stewardship feeds into the narrative of the purpose of our lives and the impact that we are to have on the earth. And indeed how we're to conduct ourselves as God's representatives. For instance, it should give rise to the question, what does God want me to do with my life? Anybody ever ask themselves that question? Because if you have, it inevitably gives rise to the next question. Why is this such a hard question to answer? <laughs> Anybody ever thought that? What does God want me? Oh, why, is this, why is this so tricky? Why is this such a problem in my life? And guess what? Both new and mature Christians often struggle with this question. And I think there are two main reasons for our struggle with it. And I've deleted that out of my notes. <laughs> well, good job that my memory is really good. The, the, yeah, it was actually she did put a lot of um, those square brackets in the middle of my message yesterday. <laughs> I thought I'd only deleted those. But the, f the, first, the first thing that we struggle with in terms of our stewardship is original sin. And the second one is provision. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You th think, how the heck has he managed to worm original sin into a message about stewardship? Where does this sort of fit? 
but hang with me for just a minute. There's a, there's a great example about this. If we go back to the beginning, for instance, and look at God's original plan for mankind, and I've been, as I said, been listening to this scripture study recently, which highlights the way God tries to get our attention to show us how to live a fulfilled life by doing it his way instead of hijacking his plans and doing it our way. Now, none of you would ever do that, I know, but it's good to realize that other people have done stupid things like that because it turns out this has been going on for a very long time. And often the reason that God's people keep stuffing things up has its roots in one particular sin, the original one. Now, the question I have for you, what was, what is original sin? Very good. That is actually the action that came out of the sin. But, but, and I think, yeah, it's right, we are, that was... That would be the question I would have given before I'd actually listened to this series. But that, what, what made Adam and Eve disobey God? Apart from the serpent. Who knows what the seven deadly sins are? It wasn't gluttony. Any others? Lust wasn't lust. Envy. Envy. We don't often think about this, but why on earth would a couple of people who have been promised the world literally by God suddenly decide that they weren't getting enough, that they weren't being told the whole story, that they hadn't got the full picture, that there was something in their lives that was missing because the serpent, thank you, had convinced them that they were missing out on something and so they became envious they became envious of God. It was through that envy that they then stepped into disobedience. And we can see this change happening throughout the Bible. So we could, we could change the, the two reasons that I gave earlier as original sin and provision and to change them to envy and trust or lack of it. Because that's what happens when you're envious of people, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, but they disobeyed him because they were made to be envious. Cain killed Abel because he was envious of the favor God had shown his brother. Lot chose the prime land because he was envious of Abraham's blessing and wealth that came from God. Interestingly, that's one of the stories, and I, I mentioned this, I think, in the offering message I did last week. Abram did exactly the opposite. He was so secure and his knowledge of the fact that God was going to bless him, he wasn't concerned with what God was going to do with Lot. It was like, that's none of my business. If you, you know, I am so secure that if you want the best stuff, go and take it because God's got me covered. And so that's that. Joseph's brothers chucked him down a well. Why? They were envious. He had a, he had a, a special coat that his dad had given him. And he was, he was not only a favorite of his father, but he wasn't shy about telling them. You know, I had a dream the other night, I'm going to be ruler above you all. You know, what brothers and sisters like that? Some little kid who big notes himself. I'd chuck him down a well as well. But they were envious. The, the, 
the very fact that the nation of Israel decided to have kings to rule over them, despite the fact that God told them, you don't need a king. I'm here, by the way. God Almighty, King of Heaven, you know. But they thought, look, look at all our neighbours. They've all got kings. We want one. And so out of envy of their neighbours, they appointed kings, which did not go well. And the list goes on. Now, envy was often the only the catalyst which led to other foolish, destructive and sinful actions. But it's a common thread through Scripture. And there's a good argument, therefore, for it being the so-called original sin. I mean, you might want to check it on Google and have it a, a discussion at your next dinner party, which isn't this week, but it's next week. So you could save that one. There's a free one for you. But you see, this was so important that Jesus actually addresses this idea of envy directly uh, in a, the parable of the vineyard workers in Matthew 20. And he talks about it like this. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. Sounds reasonable. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. What a nice man. That's how he's treating his workers well and he's promised them a full day's wage. At nine o'clock in the morning, which I know that some of you are only waking up around then, but the farmers had been working for a while. He was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them that he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? And they replied, because no one hired us. Sounds like a comedy skit. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. And when those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. Mm. When those hired first came to get their, their pay, they assumed that they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. <coughs> Excuse me. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour. And yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. Hello, Fiji. <laughs> he answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the normal wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you and is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then and those who are first will be last. Be honest, who here would be ticked? I mean, we would report him to the nearest union that we could find. The safe work, yes, safe. Um, the ombudsman, um, the state labour commission, whatever we could find, we we would protest that you know we were hard done by. And we, I, we've got to ask ourselves, where does that come from? 
because the people who started at the beginning of the day had an agreement that they would wake work a day's wa- a day's work for a day's wage. What he chose to do with other people was really none of their business. But we look at others and we see advantage that other people may have. We see blessing that other people may have. We see things that other people have that we want. And immediately our thinking goes from not what God has given us, but what God has given somebody else. See, Jesus strikes directly at the heart of the problem about our feelings about how God treats us. If we are fully persuaded that God's plan for our lives is more than we can even think or dream or imagine, then why should we be concerned if we can observe that somebody else's life also appears more than we can think, dream or imagine, even if it's far, far more than we can think, dream or imagine, even compared to what God is doing for us? Where does our trust lie? Why do we get envious of other people's blessings? Why do we get envious of other people's success? It's usually because we don't trust what God is doing. Because as soon as we become envious, there's that knock-on effect that rears its ugly head. And we're going to talk about this next week, this idea that envy leads to lack of trust. That lack of trust is why we become disobedient. Lack of trust is why we decide that we know better than God. We can do things our way because God's probably asleep on the job. And if he's not asleep on the job, he's blessing Barry more than me. And so what, where's the fairness in that? And we get uptight about what, what God is doing in other people's lives because we want God to be doing it in our lives. Resisting the temptation to be envious of others is actually at the core of good ministry. And I don't just mean church ministry, because we're all called to be ministers of the gospel. I think sometimes we forget that. You see somebody up the front, and you think, well, they're a minister. They're ministering the gospel. But no, we, each and every one of us is called to be a minister of the gospel. That is one of the things God wants us to do with our lives, by the way, if anybody was curious about that. But often, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but often ministry isn't as glamorous as we'd like. And we have to be very careful that our motives don't arise out of a desire to emulate our heroes because of the stature it might afford us. Because you know, often our heroes are people of great preaching ability, of great social standing, uh, of great power. In what they do, they're people, you know, especially in ministry, people with huge churches who have huge influence in the world. And we look and say, well, wouldn't it be good if we could have that sort of influence? But sometimes our motivation for having that sort of influence is because we see their lifestyle or their, their fame or whatever it is, and we think, oh, well, I'd, I'd like a slice of that. Thanks very much. I reckon I could preach as good as that. Or, or, you know, we, we should build our church to be like that. But what if God hasn't? That's not what God wants for us. We've actually, we, we need to be motivated out of what our skill set and what our, our desires, what our understanding of our relationship with God can do to impact the people around us. You know, you look at C3 Church. There are hundreds of churches 
around the globe, thousands of pastors, hundreds of thousands of people worshipping in those churches. There's only one Phil Pringle. And at some level, everybody would like to be Phil Pringle. But I've had a fair bit to do with Pastor Phil. And let me tell you, I do not want to be Phil Pringle. I, I like his lifestyle. I like his his relationship with God. I like it, the way he runs his church. I, I like a lot of things about Pastor Phil. But I also happen to know what Pastor Phil has had to go through to get those things. And so my motivation to to be to be like him in some ways is not based on the fact that I, I, I want a, a mega church where I want to be able to preach like I can't preach like Phil. I can only preach how I can preach. And yet I know people who want to preach because they're good at public speaking. Now I'm not particularly good at public speaking. Some of you might say I'm not particularly good at preaching either. <laughs> well, that's, that's fine. You see, this is something, and it's important that we grasp this because, see, I'm anointed to preach by God. And sometimes I think that when we see people who say they're anointed, we say, why aren't there any flaming good? Because, you know, if God anoints somebody to preach, surely they should be the best preacher in the world. But then who's going to be second best? And so there's this thing, anointing doesn't make you the best. It just gives you the spirit to bring to other people. There are better preachers in this church than me. But the thing is, I carry an anointing to do it. The same with teaching. I know people who put their hand up and say, I want to be a teacher. I want to teach the Word of God. But they only want to teach the Word of God because they know the Word of God. And they want to convince other people of the Word of God. They don't actually want to empower other people through the Word of God. They just want to look important because they know stuff. Now, that, that is really hard to let go of because I love to know stuff. And when I first started preaching, I was still working at Adelaide University as a, as a researcher in, in biochemistry. And I love to throw in words like deoxyribonucleic acid and, um, and other scientific words as illustrations in my sermons until I noticed that as soon as I did it, everybody went, <laughs> fell asleep. That knowledge was not as important as the anointing that God had put on me to preach the Word of God. And so we've got to make sure that our idea of stewardship is not misunderstood. Because my message to you this morning is you've got this. You are uniquely designed by God for the purposes that He has for you. He has not given you somebody else's gifts, talents, or blessing, because guess what? You don't need them. You don't need them. God has, is, and will give you everything you need for your life to be productive, satisfying, and purposeful on this earth. Do not envy what others have, because God is sufficient for all you, your needs. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? You don't sound sure. Because our trust in God is actually what drives our faith to be visible to other people. 
Because other people actually don't care about what we're blessed with, what our skills are, what God is doing in our life, unless they can see something. And it's what they see that affects them. And it's not what we have that affects them. It's what our relationship is with God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Fulfilling our purpose is actually one of the keys for God working for our good. God knows his people before we're born in advance and he has chosen us to become like Jesus, his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Isn't that a good thought? God has called us not just to be stewards, but to be brothers and sisters with his son, Jesus Christ. Can we all stand? Can I get Jord just up here for a moment? On the topic of envy, I, I want to pray for some people here this morning. <laughs> and not for what you might think. Before I, before I do that, I just want to give an opportunity. If you're here this morning and you have never committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have never made a statement that says, I, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to put him first in my life as my Lord and Savior. And I'm going to walk in faith and in a belief and a trust that through Jesus I have everything I need in life. That I am a believer that he died on a cross for my sins so that I could see heaven. If you've never done that, I want to offer you an opportunity this morning to take the first step on that road of faith to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Can I ask you all just to close your eyes? And if that is you this morning, or you may have made that commitment before, but you know that you've let that slip and you need to recommit to Jesus Christ. While everybody's head is bowed, all eyes are closed. If that's you, could you just raise your hand so that I can see? And I'd love to pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your life. Anyone at all, just raise your hand. You can pop it straight down. I'd love to pray with you. Right, can I get Barry and Michelle to come out in the front, please? And Nathan? Pete, Juz, are you hiding back there? Juz is there. Pete's hiding. Oh, I'll get him later. See, the reason, the reason I've called these people out the front to pray for them is to make you envious. Because <laughs> some of you are thinking, well, he's got them out the front. Why didn't he call me? What have they done that gives them special treatment? Now, although that sounds a bit funny, it's not a joke. If you would like to be out in this altar with them, please come. Because what, I, what I'm, and you might feel a desire to come more in, as, as I explain it. The reason I've, I've actually called these guys out the front is because I know that each of them, and you know, this is Carmen as well as Nathan and Pete as well as Juz. He's the tall one. Have actually 
gone through things in their life where they have actually had to overcome other people succeeding ahead of them. They have had to overcome what looks like God's favor going to other people and not them. They have actually had to stand firm in the belief that God's plan for them is and will come to pass and that they have had to stay focused on what God is doing in their lives rather than be distracted by what God is doing in other people's lives. And that has come at a cost. Now that doesn't mean that there are those of you out there who have gone through the same thing. And as I said, if, if that is you, and, and I'm just going to pray a prayer of encouragement that they, that they actually continue to lean in God in, that, in his strength and not theirs as they keep moving forward. Because just because we've done it once doesn't mean we're not going to slip up the next time. We've got to, actually got to keep going. But also, if you don't feel to come out the front and you want to actually take that, that you know that you've had something happen to you and you've, you've lost faith because you've seen other people blessed ahead of you or you've seen things that God's promised that haven't yet come to pass in your life and your faith has become thin, weary, then this prayer is for you too. One of the things about envy is this idea that there's not enough to go around. With God, there is always more than enough. And sometimes you can, you can come back to bite you. You need to get Barry to tell you his story. Sometimes you've got to be careful what you pray for because God will give it to you. And it's a blessing, but it's hard work. Sometimes you know, talk to Nathan. Just because God has blessed you in some areas doesn't mean that you, there is no struggle in other areas. Talk to Jazz. Waiting can be really, really boring. But the results are. So I want, want us all, you know, if you're at the front here, just raise your hands. If, you're, if you want to pray for them, raise your hands towards them. If you want, if you want to receive that strength, that certainty, that, that fullness of expectation that God still has his best for you. And I want you to raise your hands to heaven and just start believing that. Because Lord, I pray right now that every person here under the sound of my voice gets a fresh revelation today that you are sufficient for all their needs. That you not only have the resources, but you freely give the resources. The things of your kingdom are hidden not to hide them from us, but to enable us to find them in our own time, following our own path. But we are called to put you first, to do it your way and not our own, to walk the long road and not take shortcuts, to trust that what may look like disaster is actually your plan unfolding to give us 
a better result than we could ever dream or imagine. So, Lord, I pray your blessing, your blessing of strength, of perseverance on Barry and Michelle, on Carmen and Nathan, on Justine and Pete, but not to single them out as special, but to enable them to impart that to other people. Let them be a beacon of hope for your church, Lord. Let them continue to be steadfast and focused and faithful so that instead of being envious of them, we can actually share in what God is doing. Thank you for your power and your presence this morning, Holy Spirit. Bless them and anoint them for the ministry that you have given them. In Jesus' name, amen.